Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. And we have a busy show today. Here's what we're going to talk about. An important EPA decision on atrazine. It's not a final step, but it's a big step. And we will talk about that with Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and Chair of the Triazine Network. We're going to talk about CFAP 2.0. We're going to talk about CCC funding, a possible another COVID aid package for agriculture. Lots to talk about with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And we will talk markets and harvest with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. All coming up on today's program. But first, we start things off with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Last week, Todd, you and I were happy about the Big Ten decision to resume football. It'll start up next month. You being the Nebraska fan, me being the Ohio State football fan, now we find out our teams play each other the opening weekend of the Big Ten season. Yeah, you know, I guess we got what we asked for, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I keep thinking about the opening of the season, and Ohio State's really got a pretty easy schedule. I mean, they don't have to play Ohio State, and so we're not all that lucky at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just going to be different, though, you know, to start it off is. the way they're, you know, as late as they're starting off and no fans and everything. So it's it's just a different year. But, yeah, it, it'll just be good to have it back and going again. We'll talk more about that as we get closer, I'm sure. Absolutely. But we, we have lots to talk about today. And let's start things off with um, what's going on in Washington, D.C. And right now, a move by Democrats to block funding for the CCC. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, we've gotten this far into the year, and, uh, you know, we kind of knew leading up to this election things are going to get even more political, if that's possible. And uh, But you never kind of expected the Commodity Credit Corporation to be part of the, you know, the center of the debate. Um, you know, obviously, the, you know, we have until December or later before that TCC fund really needs to be replenished anyway. Uh, Republicans are trying to get that $30 billion back in the CCC with, uh, you know, the current, among the current budget debate and possible continuing resolution for the, for the federal government to stay open. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's really unfortunate because at this time in, in our history, we've got an agriculture industry that's just been hit pretty hard. Uh, you know, we're seeing some parts of it recovering and that sort of thing, but, uh, right now we're down to the nitty gritty. You know, we've got a, uh, we've got a lot of talk out there about, you know, where things go in terms of funding, you know, future, future, uh, payments to farmers, whether that's going to happen down the road, but the CCC is, uh, obviously a big part of that. And so, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but I do think that, uh, one way or the other, it's going to get refunded, whether it's before or after the election. Criticism of government programs is not new. But it, right. I guess I guess it kind of shows the times in which we live. When you hear um, statements made like some Democratic congressional leaders 
are saying, refusing to allow replenishment of uh, the CCC, charging yeah. that the White House is employing it as a political slush fund. Well, that that kind of takes it to a level we've not seen when it comes to uh, uh you know, an ag program like this. I mean, not that that criticism hasn't been there, but to come out and call right. it in those terms, it shows the political times in which we live. It really does, Mike. You know, and the thing is, agriculture uh, agriculture issues, decisions made in Congress and that sort of thing, it's always been bipartisan. Uh, I mean, on occasion, you get the whole flare-up about, uh, you know, food stamps and that sort of thing. But I think uh, agriculture has always been uh, kind of a bipartisan issue that people can uh, can rally around, whether it be, you know, in times of disaster or whatever the case may be. And uh, to see this go to where it is now is really, uh, I guess in some sense, it's really kind of disappointing. You know, uh, farmers have been battling for the past several years on a number of fronts, and it's just been, it's been a tough ride anyway. And uh, I guess we're just, you're right, we're just at that point in time in history where it's always going to be politics that come up, and especially now, you know, with this presidential election, we're uh, we're coming down to the nitty gritty. So I think everybody's, you know, flinging their arrows and seeing where they stick. Seems like nothing is spared the political bickering that's going on right now in our in our country. Here's another issue yeah. that got a lot of attention, and it looks like uh, at least the administration seems to be trying to put a lid on this right now and say this isn't going to happen. But there was all this talk that uh, yeah. USDA would be. Uh, helping fund uh, or pay oil refineries after the decision to to deny those gap year waivers. Now, Secretary Purdue says no plans to do that. Yeah, and it's you know you're right. It's a good thing. Um, I don't know what what the status of this was from the beginning. It it seemed kind of outrageous that uh, USDA would even consider you know a three hundred million dollar payout is what the, is what the talk was, and that just seems. Uh, from the very beginning, that just seemed like something that maybe wasn't based in fact. Um, you know, if you look at that small refinery waiver issue, uh, the, re- the refiners that uh, that actually would would uh, be approved, uh, you know, $300 million wouldn't touch what they're claiming uh, their expenses are on, on fulfilling the RFS. You know, we've had some companies that in some years claim that they had, you know, a couple hundred million dollars in and cost is for a single company to comply, whether that's true or not, and whether, you know, that actually is something that they end up paying uh, is another thing. But, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, like we just talked about with politics this time of the year and, and this this point with the election coming up, it, uh, it almost seemed impossible that USDA would be considering that kind of a move. Mm-hmm. And... One final note, with all the political bickering that's going on, and it's been ramped up even more with the Supreme Court situation now, It it's yeah. maybe they will, but it seems hard to imagine all of a sudden they're going to come to some agreement uh, on a, another coronavirus aid package. Uh, I mean, they've been so far apart up till now, and nothing seems to be indicating now that they're getting closer on any of this. That's true. Uh, you know, there was a comment made the other day uh, Perhaps Pelosi will be dealing with uh, Mnuchin, the secretary, the Treasury secretary now in terms of, you know, dealing with the administration on a possible package. And maybe that's where this is at now. Maybe, you know, we've seen such an impasse in Congress uh, here recently that uh, maybe this is going to a higher level. You know, Trump has uh, come out saying he, he would support another package, he, he uh, you know, and, and everything that might come with that. And so. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, it's probably a long shot that this gets done ahead of that election. But, 
um, you know, I, I don't think that December is, is out of reach entirely either. Yeah, well, darkest before the dawn, right? Maybe they will yeah. work something out. But right now, everything seems to be centered around the Supreme Court issue, and it makes right. you wonder how much else they'll get done. We'll see. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, an important EPA decision supporting atrazine. We'll talk about that next with Gary Marshall. CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and Chair of the Triazine Network. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. When you got the confirmation that EPA is going to deny those gap year waivers to the renewable fuel standard, was it a sigh of relief or a celebration for you? Mike, well, I'm, I'm going to say it was close to a celebration for us. You know, we, we greatly appreciate and applaud this decision by the EPA to uh, put to bed this nonsense and absurdity that small refiners have been using to you know, undermine the renewable fuel standard and, and business certainty that was supposed to be created by this law. It shouldn't have been this hard. There should not have uh, needed to be this much work by you know, Senator Ernst and Senator Grassley and Governor Reynolds and others to convince the administration to simply do the right thing. This was a no-brainer, but at the end of the day, I think it is positive news. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. 
A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Environmental Protection Agency has announced a decision regarding the registration of atrazine. A lot of years of research, a lot of public comments have come in on this product. EPA Administrator Wheeler has declared atrazine management tools safe for continued use in controlling weeds. Let's talk about that decision and what's next as we talk with Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and chair of the Triazine Network. Gary, good to talk with you again. Uh, this is an important step, isn't it? Hey, Mike. Yeah, good talking to you, too, and absolutely. It's a, a long-awaited step. I guess we started this uh, re-registration process this time uh, in 2013, so it's a seven-year process. And the good news is EPA followed the science and they made the right decision. Now, when we say it's an important step, what is the next step? Well, this registers atrazine and all the triazines. Again, there's three different triazines uh, under FIFRA. And so under FIFRA, that's where you register pesticides. This kind of culminates that process. There are a few label changes, label restrictions that the uh, manufacturers of ethanol will put on the labels. So those changes will be there for next year, and they involve some minor changes on uh, on turf, worker protection, that type of thing. And then the, the ESA, the Endangered Species Act, comes into play. So the EPA is asked and, and required to do what we call a biological opinion. So their biological opinion on the assessment of whether the trizines will cause problems for any endangered species. And then once they make that evaluation, they turn that over to the Fish and Wildlife. And so that's why we say, you know, it's kind of the FIFRA process is done, but the ESA thing is just getting started. We do expect to see uh, the at least the initial biological opinion coming out in October, and then the ESA process could well take into the middle to the end of next year before it's finalized. I have often said I I can't think of any other product that has been reviewed as many times as atrazine has been over the years. You know, Mike, I've been involved in in, uh, the Trizine Network since 1994. I guess that was the first time that uh, we knew there was a concern in Missouri, and so that got me involved with that group. And, you know, it's a group of farmers and uh, general farm organizations, corn grower groups, uh, grain sorghum, but really different commodity and general farm organizations that stretch from Maine to Hawaii and from Florida to Washington State. So used all over the country. And you're right. The product's been around for 70 years. It has more than 7,000 uh, studies that the EPA has taken a look at over time. Numerous science advisory panel meetings by the EPA's best scientists and some of the best scientists in the world reviewing the product. And the good news is they've determined that the product is safe. So that leaves another major, major tool in the farmer's toolbox to help control weeds in corn, grain, sorghum, and in a variety of other crops. We're talking with Gary Marshall, CEO of Missouri Corn Growers and chair of the Triazine Network. 
Yet, Gary, despite all that review and all the evidence, atrazine continues to be criticized and under attack in many quarters. Well, it is, and it's. Uh, I think because it's one of the most widely used herbicides in the world, next to Roundup, probably atrazine is used in more places, and it's also used in combination with uh, over 90 other different herbicides for different uh, crops. So that tells us that it's effective not only by itself, but it's more effective when used in combinations with other products. But you know, the, some of the radical environmental organizations that are out here, they make their money fighting the, uh, you know, their fight against products like atrazine, like Roundup. And, you know, there's a lot of trial lawyers out there that also love to engage in these lawsuits. But the fact is, and that's what you got to go with is the fact. The fact is that EPA followed the science this time as they've done in the past, and the science says the product is safe. So no matter what some of the radical, progressive environmental organizations out there have to say, the fact is the science says it's safe. That's what we asked the EPA to do was to follow the science. They did it, and so we're, we're completely satisfied they made the right decision. All right, so in this, this next step through the Endangered Species Act, this process, will you need more uh, public comment, uh, or, what, or what will be required for this process? You know, Mike, the uh, the Endangered Species Act really doesn't allow for much of any outside input into their process. It's primarily determined by the Fish and Wildlife. And the good news is a few years ago, they determined they don't have the scientists on staff to study all of the different uh, herbicides and pesticides that are out there. So they rely greatly on the EPA. And so they made the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, a part of the process. Even the U.S. Department of Agriculture really has no role. I mean, they can advise if they want to, but in the end, the Fish and Wildlife makes all the decisions on the Endangered Species Act. They will take this biological opinion, though, into account whenever they take a look at, uh, at the product. So our hope is that the EPA continues to follow the science. We know there are some new studies out there that uh, were not included in the last evaluation by the EPA, if they include those those different uh, new studies, then atrazine looks even better, even in uh, some of the areas we have across the U.S. that might be considered, um, you know, a little little different from other places. In other words, might have some uh, concerns about um, water quality. So we feel pretty confident that uh, whenever the fish and wildlife folks take into opinion their their opinion this evaluation, then they're going to look at it pretty favorably as well. So we'll watch and wait for that next step on uh, atrazine. All right, before I let you go, uh, and I understand you're retiring as CEO of Missouri Corn Growers. You're, you're way too young for that, but uh, be- we wish you the very best uh, going into retirement. Let me talk to you, though, about the recent developments in the biofuels uh, industry. Some Finally, some good news when the, uh, uh, the administration decided to deny those gap year waivers. I know you were very happy about that. Absolutely. Uh, glad to see, again, the EPA made that decision. So, you know, we've had some run-ins with the EPA whenever it comes to ethanol. And uh, the good news is they're starting to follow the science there as well. And uh, they know uh, in, in this particular case there was no uh, stance really for the some of the refineries to file, you know, past year uh, waiver exemptions, which they did. So the EPA 
they followed the law in this case, and uh, they, they made the right decision there. A couple of other good announcements. Uh, one, you know, the Brazilians are going to allow ethanol into their country duty-free for the next 90 days. So that's not a complete win, but it's better than what we did have. And then finally, the president himself uh, came out and uh, said that they're going to work with the EPA and make the, the rule changes that need to be made to allow E15 to be sold in E10 pumps. So three really good pieces of, uh, of information coming out of D.C. Uh, on behalf of ethanol here in the last week or so. So, yeah, pretty excited about that. A lot of steps still, still have to be taken to get that last one in place to allow to actually get E15 flowing through E10 pumps. Let's look at your state of Missouri. How difficult will that be, or how close are you to that actually happening? You know, Missouri is, is different from every state. Uh, every state has their own different rules and regulations, I should say. And in Missouri's case, it'll be relatively easy. But there are other states where it, it could be a lot more difficult. You have the fire marshal that's engaged in some states. You have some of the state regulatory agencies that are involved. So it is going to take, uh, you know, it's going to take some rule changes by the EPA. And then there are several states that probably are going to have to make some changes as well. But the good news is the president, if he can get it started, move it through the EPA, then that allow state organizations like ours to take up the cause in the different states out here. So we think it's the, the you know, once we get the EPA to do it, then it makes it a lot simpler for us to make that move across the country. So, again, it's going to take a little while, but really we're starting in the right direction on that issue as well. Well, Gary, thanks for being with us, and again, uh, wish you the best in retirement. I've really enjoyed working with you over the years. Appreciate our friendship, and uh, and hit them straight. I know you'll be out on those fairways, uh, maybe even more now in retirement. Hit them straight, as you always do. All right, Mike. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Take care. Gary Marshall, CEO of Missouri Corn Growers and Chair of the Triazine Network. Again, uh, EPA ruling in favor of uh, atrazine now it'll go through that process as he talked about through the endangered species act so we'll keep an eye on that up next we got a lot to talk about with ethan lane vice president government affairs for the national cattlemen's beef association we'll talk about this cc funding issue we'll talk about cfap 2.0 possible another COVID aid package what that could mean for agriculture so a lot of ground to cover that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service 
your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we see a turnaround Tuesday with advances in wheat, corn, and in soybeans, too. The streak of Chinese purchases of U.S. agricultural exports continuing on this Tuesday, with USDA confirming China buying 140,000 metric tons of corn, 266,000 tons of soybeans. On top of that, 320,000 tons of corn sold to unknown destinations. Russian wheat was the cheapest offered at an Egyptian international wheat tender on Tuesday at $242 a metric ton. In Chicago, wheat futures December up eight and a quarter at 563. Kansas City wheat December up 11 and three quarters at 499. Minneapolis spring wheat December up eight and a quarter at 543. In corn, the new crop December up a penny at 370 and three quarters. November soybeans up six and three quarters at 1029 and a quarter. January up six and a half at 1034. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we're nickel to 35 cents lower. October down a nickel per hundred weight at 106.67. Feeder cattle, October contract down 40 at 141.82. Cash cattle, packer interest said to be Limited so far on the week, not even a token bid to be found on this Tuesday so far. In lean hog futures, October two dollars and forty-five cents higher at sixty-eight oh five. December up two dollars forty-seven cents, sixty-four oh two. On Wall Street, the Dow up forty-one, the S and P up thirteen, Nasdaq up thirty-five, October crude oil up thirty-five cents a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson. From the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So we have a lot of things all swirling at the same time here that they impact one another as we look at, we have CFAP 2.0 sign up underway, and we still have the possibility of another coronavirus aid package, but we don't know about that. And also now we have this issue of uh, uh, some Democratic leaders refusing to vote to replenish 
the CCC, the Commodity Credit Corporation. And there's still criticism of uh, the market facilitation program and how it worked. There's some questions still about CFAP. So politics is certainly a big part of all this, as it seems like it's in about every part of our lives these days. So let's kind of sort through this with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, I guess it's, uh, do you look at the glass half empty or half full? Let's look at it half full. You got another another round of CFAP here, which will, of course, include livestock. That part is half full. This is the remainder of that money that we worked so hard to get back in April when at the, the height of the coronavirus that we've been sort of asking USDA for a plan uh, for all summer. So it, it's nice to see them move that forward. It's nice to see some additional uh, money going out to producers that, that really need it in a year with market shocks like we've seen. Uh, and, and it's nice to see them make some tweaks to, to those payments on inventory so that they're a little more accessible for producers, letting them pick their own date. Uh, some of those changes, I think have have been helpful and are going to benefit our producers um, but it leaves a lot of work undone it doesn't address that april 15th cutoff that that really tattooed so many producers that were selling at the at the height of the of the market shock back in april uh so we still have some more work to do and and obviously you know as you as you described that that leads us back to congress and that leads us back to this conversation about government funding and replenishment of ccc and additional COVID aid all of which at this point you know is really uh kind of a crapshoot based on what we're seeing with this with this uh, uh, continuing resolution to extend government funding, uh, the the uh, passing of Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg at the end of last week uh, adds another layer of complication into that as everyone starts to jockey for position on on uh, how that's going to play out over the next 45 days. But uh, it is uh, it, there are a lot of things swirling. I would say I would put the glass right at the middle line right now. There's there's some upside, there's some progress, but there is a lot to uh, to still address here in the next few weeks. I mentioned this earlier, uh, criticism of government programs is nothing new, but this almost seems to have gone to another level indicative of the times in which we live when now the CCC is being described by uh, some on the Democratic side as a political slush fund for the White House. That kind of takes it to a level of criticism for this program that we've not seen before. It does, and it's unfortunate because it's just not the case. You know, the the, the market facilitation payments are, have, are are so far in the past now, given what we've all endured in the last eight months, that it seems absurd to be to be still bringing that up. You know, I think the the the, the CFAP program and the use of that CCC has been on full display in the last few months. I know, you know, folks like Chairman Peterson have said uh, this year at different points that they want more oversight over how that money is spent. But uh, I believe that a lot of the feel like they have that now. And, and I think this program is, is, is showing itself to be uh, a good use of, of that tool in the CCC. Um, so it does kind of leave you feeling like this is, this is just pure politics on, on, on the part of some members of Congress. And, you know, quite frankly, if you are in an urban district or a suburban district and you don't have a lot of farmers and ranchers, uh, that's an easy place for you to kind of snipe at the president for trying to help agriculture. Uh, it's an easy place for you to kind of score points with your constituents in, uh, uh, in, in the cities. And uh, it's, it's disappointing. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going we're gonna to get through this. I, I'm, I'm glad to see a Democratic chairman of the Ag Committee kind of bucking his party on this. And, and, you know, we've had a great relationship with the chairman. He, he, uh, he knows 
what needs to happen to, to help producers around the country. So I, I know we have some voices on the House side that are, that are fighting that fight, and uh, I'm hopeful they're going to get some resolution. Do I think it's going to be this week? Uh, no. I, I, I worry that, that there just isn't enough political will in the next couple of days to get that done, and maybe I'm being a pessimist, Mike, but um, I think the priority for a lot of these folks at this point is making sure we don't have a government shutdown in the next week. Yeah, you point out if you're from an urban area, this – you know, you might be more willing to take this shot at the CCC and USDA. But one of those doing it is actually the uh, top Democrat on the Senate Ag Committee, Debbie Stabenow from Michigan. Uh, she she uh, supported the exclusion of uh, the CCC funding. Yeah, I, 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 I if, if I had a, a way to understand how Senator Stabenow uh, formulates her positions on some of these issues, I, I would be, uh, I'd be a very wealthy man. I, I, I don't often understand why she picks the positions that she does. I, I think that she genuinely does, uh, you know, care about American agriculture. She just looks at these issues differently than pretty much every farmer and rancher I know in the country. Um, and I've never quite understood uh, why she picks some of those those battles that she does. This this seems like a no brainer uh, to make sure that the uh, the men and women that are putting food on American plates during this crisis are able to continue doing so. I don't think there's any argument that the, the resources uh, put out through this program and, and through these tools over the course of this year has kept a lot of people in business, in agriculture and in the cattle business, um, in a very tough environment. I was out on the road this week in Virginia talking to producers, and I mean, I heard that more than once, that you know, we're still up and kicking because we were able to get, get that, that patch and and to 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 thumb your nose at that is is a shame uh, in an environment like this. But we hope we can continue to, to to work with her and others and help them understand why this is so important. So, given this political environment, how do you handicap the chances of them passing another COVID aid package that would have something in it for agriculture? You know, I I think that there are going to be a lot of eyes on this next round of CFAP. Uh, as I said earlier, you know they've gone back and tweaked some of the the issues we had in the first round. Um, I think there's a, there's going to be a lot of interest in in how this rolls out uh, and and the mood of of producers on the back side of it. Um, you know I think there are those arguing that gosh we've already spent so much um, that you know we we need to be careful going going into the hole for more and of course. You know, I, I, there's always that chance that if the election uh, does not break in favor of the Republicans, I think you can pretty safely assume you are going to see a lot of Republicans rediscover their fiscal conservative roots uh, very quickly, and and that's just sort of the nature of that pendulum swinging back and forth in Washington. Um, so the, I, I think you know, given how the election turns out, um, there there might still be some room to, to to work on something like that. We're certainly going to keep pushing as hard as we can uh, because we don't think we're there yet. We had a 13. $15.6 billion damage estimate just for the cattle industry, as you know. And I think USDA received something like 40 or $50 billion in, in, uh, in requests for aid from various sectors of agriculture. Uh, so that leaves a lot of, that leaves a lot of uh, a need out there in the country still based on those numbers. And, and that's something Congress could, could pretty quickly help us with uh, if, the, if the will was there. And that's the question, because despite their claims to be able to do more than one thing at a time, we know what happens when they get <laughs> fixated on one issue. And right now, it's a major issue, the Supreme Court situation. It really makes you wonder uh, how much room they're going to allow or leave for these other, some of these other issues. It does. It, it, it changes the math completely. Um, it, it takes a lot of uh, 
any bipartisan will that you might find leading up to a hotly contested election is definitely gone now uh, with this Supreme Court fight. I mean, it's, it's early for it to be the October surprise, but it sure feels like an October surprise uh, sitting here in Washington this morning. And we are going to have to deal with that over the next few weeks. You know, I think a lot of members were planning to go home and, and spend some time in their districts running for Congress again and running for the Senate again in October. Uh, I think it's more likely that we're going to see them here in Washington more. Uh, if, we're, if we're debating nominees and, and uh, Leader McConnell is pushing for a vote on that, you know, that, that could be a blessing uh, in disguise as well. It could give them more chances. When that's happening, a lot of times they've got to kill time here in Washington. That could give them some time to work on an, on an ag package or a COVID package. Um, but it is certainly going to hyperpolarize the environment back here. And, you know, I keep reminding people that uh, when we get into to the lame duck, we, we have a math problem in the U.S. Senate because even though we have a couple of Republicans that are saying they're not going to, to vote for a, a nominee here in this, in this lead-up to the election, Martha McSally in Arizona is in a special election seat, which means that if she loses that seat, which we, we don't, I mean, her polling is, is looking better now, but if she loses that seat, Mark Kelly would take office November 30th. So that would impact that lame duck math in the U.S. Senate in, in an already tight environment. So we're trying to look into some of that math as well, Mike, to, to just see what, what needs to happen when if we're going to have any success of getting these things through. Yeah, real quick, Ethan, I mentioned this yesterday, but four years ago I remember farmers telling me one of their top issues, priority issue in, in what they were looking at in, in deciding who they were going to vote for was selection of judges, especially to the Supreme Court. Here we are four years later. It's a, it's right at the top of that list again. I, I think that when you look back on this administration and you look back on this four years, uh, there is no question the legacy of, of this Congress and, and the last two really is going to be what they've done with the federal bench. And it's hard to see up close it's going to take a while to have that perspective, um, but there has been a lot accomplished on that front in the last in the last few years, and that is really something that we need to to, to pay attention to with the amount of pressure that that American agriculture and the cattle industry feels uh, in the federal court from activists, whether they be animal rights, environmental, or otherwise. Um, they've done a lot of work in the last few years, and I think over the next ten or twenty, we will we will see the benefits of that. All right, Ethan, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Wow, so much going on, and that uh, one thing impacts another. It's a kind of a, a chain reaction here, so we try to keep you up to date on all this and uh, get uh, the ag perspective on, on all of it. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets, this harvest market rally as uh, harvest is getting going. We're going to talk with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we finally have confirmation of the decision to deny those gap year waivers to the renewable fuel standard. Joining us now is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Your thoughts? There's an announcement from EPA that they are rejecting these gap year small refinery exemption petitions is is great news for the industry. It's a big step forward. And the best part about it is it's official. It's a final action. We don't have to wait for EPA to do anything else. You know, it's not a a commitment or a promise that something may happen. It it happened. The memo that came out from EPA yesterday, we believe, should put the nail in the coffin for these gap year waivers and, and hopefully put that big mess uh, that EPA created for itself behind us and, and we can get back to implementing the RFS and, and you know honoring the congressional intent with this program. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A toast to soil health. 
More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Matt Bennett with agmarket.net and Matt are the combines rolling in east central Illinois? Yeah, I'll tell you what. We've actually been running for a uh, for a solid week. Uh, we picked corn there last week uh, due to the fact that some of these guys were looking for uh, uh, you know for for wet corn even, and, and they didn't really care how wet it was in some cases. And so we we decided to take them up on it. And uh, I'll tell you what, we we picked 500 acres last week. Pretty darn good corn. Very happy with it. Uh, uh, no question in central Illinois with all the rainfall we had. There were areas that, uh, you know, you got hurt a little bit by uh, losing some nitrogen, but I, but our average yields were awfully good due to the fact that, you know, where the corn was good, it was just really good. And so uh, we're pretty happy with that. We actually started on soybeans uh, there yesterday uh, on Monday, and, uh, you know, our bean yields uh, I think are just a little bit better maybe than what our corn yields corn yields are relatively speaking we're pretty happy with the bean yields so far but we're not too far into it either what about moisture levels you know on corn we probably averaged around 23 to 24 we saw anything from 19 all the way up to high 20s on the monitor but again they were looking for the corn and whenever they kind of removed the barrier which was 25 percent we decided to go ahead and pick a couple of uh, fields that were in that area you know just to get them out of the way and um, you know, I, I had a couple of fields averaging that 25-26% uh, level, which I know a lot of people think, uh, you know, I don't know about that, but this was with free drying. I mean, they weren't even charging us to dry the corn, so uh, it was pretty hard to pass up that sort of situation. On, on soybeans, we're averaging around 115 to 12.5%. Test weights? You know, test weights on the corn were awfully good, actually. We were really happy with test weights. To be honest, I really haven't even looked at the test weight on the beans. I know they're weighing really good, and, you know, so far we've just been nothing but pleased with, with what we're seeing here in the bean field. Will you see some of your best ever yields or not? I don't believe so. I think that we could have a field or two on soybeans that could approach those sort of levels. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see best ever. If we would have had some rain in August, I don't think there's any question we would have seen some best ever situations. But, you know, as far as corn goes, you know, the corn that we've picked uh, makes me think that uh, it's going to be a very uh, good crop. I don't know about great, uh, but it's going to be a very good crop. And so uh, I definitely don't have any complaints, you know, with the yields that we're seeing, especially with the price rally that we've seen of late. Uh, it certainly works as far as profitability is concerned. It looks like with the forecast, you're going to be able to keep rolling for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's no doubt once we're able to move over to uh, uh, once we're able to move over to soybeans like we've done here this week, I think we'll be able to stay on soybeans until we're done. And so if that's the case, you know, then uh, 
the rest of the corn that we have to pick will actually be ready by the time we're done with beans. I mean, this could be a very quick harvest if this weather holds like it is, because I think once guys get rolling and gals get to rolling, there's no doubt they're going to be able to make some serious progress pretty quickly. Do you think this market rally here at Harvest Time continues? No, I don't know that I do. I mean, and here's the thing, uh, on beans, my, I guess my gut feeling is you've seen such a good rally that, you know, I know producers are asking me right and left, you think we're going to continue this because I hate to, uh, hate to sell, you know, because I've already sold too many beans too early, so to speak. I don't know. With some of the yields that we're seeing, I guess I've got to think that uh, if you sold beans and you thought you were going to be profitable, even though the market rallied a dollar seventy, you know, I-, I think going ahead and selling some beans across the scale at much better levels than what you've already sold at probably makes quite a bit of sense. And so, you know, I don't know uh, that I expect that bean rally to continue. Corn, I kind of like corn's value. I don't know that I think we're going to rally substantially, uh, but I kind of like the way corn's set up. I guess I'm going to be selling, you know, some corn across the scale, uh, probably keep ownership with, you know, like a call strategy or something, uh, maybe out the next uh, next summer, because I, I think there could be some opportunity on down the road. But, with you know, again, with beans, I just think we've gotten so much of a rally already. I don't know that I should be asking for too much more. But it sure changed a lot from what we were talking about Oh, back in July. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt, Mike. I tell you, it was a, it was definitely shaping up to be another extremely rough year from a profitability standpoint. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, we missed out on some rain. Some of us in your world, part of the world, and my part of the world. You know, and it took the shine off of some of these yields. But I do think the yields are still going to be good enough that, given the rally we've seen, we're going to be pretty happy with what uh, what the bottom line in, ends up being. So. Uh, definitely things have changed uh, since we were talking in the summer. And at the same time, uh, a person has to be very cognizant of where we came from uh, and remember what those profit margins look like then. Because if we, if we kind of let some of these profit margins go, you know, and something, uh, something terrible happens again, and then we see some of these prices erode, I think we're going to be kicking ourselves big time. Yeah, you, you've got a rally, you've, especially in beans, and you, you've got uh, some of these uh, – special offers that uh, some of the buyers are offering out there right now you got to be ready to take advantage of some of these situations that we just didn't think would all be here right here at harvest time and what we thought was going to be a huge crop and still looks to be a very good crop obviously right you know the thing about it is you know uh, when we started cutting beans here you know we started on a landlord and uh, the landlord had beans sold to a specific location uh, you know and we didn't have beans uh, sold in there. We've had quite a few beans, uh, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, we called that uh, location and we asked them, you know, about their bid and they essentially told us they had a quick ship bid, you know, that was running, uh, you know, like 20 cents under, um, you know, the processor, which was actually super competitive compared to some of the local locations. And so, uh, you know, we just decided to contract everything from this farm and, uh, you know, the the price this morning um, you know, before the market opened was uh, about 30 cents below that because they took 10 cents a basis, you know, and you lost 20 yesterday. So I know we're up a little bit today, but as you can tell, things can change quite rapidly if we're not uh, paying close attention. That's for sure. Matt, good to talk with you. Have a safe harvest. Thanks a lot. Thanks, buddy. All right. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. 
that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we will talk more about the markets here during this harvest season and get more analysis of CFAP 2.0. Hope you'll be with us. Be safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA.